Section 18 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 7, Great Women, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Hannah Moore, Part 2. Thus far, most of the associations of Hannah Moore had been with the fashionable world, by which she was petted and flattered. Seeing clearly its faults, she had sought to reform it by her writings and by her conversation. But now she turned her attention to another class, the poor and ignorant, and labored for them. She instituted a number of schools for the poor in her immediate neighborhood, superintended them, raised money for them, and directed them, as Madame de Montenon did the school of St. Cyr, only with this difference, that while the Frenchwoman sought to develop the mind and character of a set of aristocratic girls to offset the practical infidelity that permeated the upper walks of life, Hannah More desired to make the children of the poor religious amid the savage profligacy which then marked the peasant class. The first school she established was at Cheddar, a wild and sunless hollow amid yawning caverns about ten miles from Cowslip Green the resort of pleasure parties for its picturesque cliffs and fissures around this weird spot was perhaps the most degraded peasantry to be found in england without even spiritual instruction for the vicar was a non-resident and his living was worth but fifty pounds a year in her efforts to establish a school in such a barbarous and pagan locality hannah met with serious obstacles the farmers and petty landholders were hostile to her scheme maintaining that any education would spoil the poor and make them discontented even the farmers themselves were an ignorant and brutal class very depraved and with intense prejudices for a whole year she labored with them to disarm their hostilities and prejudices and succeeded at last in collecting two hundred and fifty children in the schoolhouse which she had built their instruction was of course only elemental but it was religious from cheddar hannah moore was led to examine into the condition of neighboring places thirteen contiguous parishes were without a resident curate and nine of these were furnished with schools with over five hundred scholars her theory was a suitable education for each and a christian education for all while she was much encouraged by her ecclesiastical aristocratic friends she still encountered great opposition from the farmers she also excited the jealousy of the dissenters for thus invading the territory of ignorance. All her movements were subjected to prelates and clergymen of the Church of England for their approval, for she put herself under their patronage. And yet the brutal ignorance of the peasantry was owing in part to the neglect of these very clergymen, who never visited these poor people under their charge. As an excuse for them, it may be said that at that time there were 4,809 parishes in England and Wales in which a clergyman could not reside, if he would, for lack of a parsonage. At that time, even in Puritan New England, every minister was supposed to live in a parsonage. Today, not one parish in ten is provided with that desirable auxiliary. Not only were the labors of Hannah Moore extended to the ignorant and degraded by the establishment of schools in her neighborhood, at an expense of about one thousand pounds a year, part of which she contributed herself, but she employed her pen in their behalf, writing, at the solicitation of the Bishop of London, a series of papers or tracts for the times, with special reference to the enlightenment of the lower classes on those subjects that were then agitating the country. The whole land was at this time inundated with pamphlets full of infidelity and discontent, fanned by the French Revolution, then passing through its worst stages of cruelty, atheism, and spoliation. 
burke about the same time wrote his reflections which are immortal for their wisdom and profundity but he wrote for the upper classes not merely in england but in america and on the continent of europe Hannamore wrote for the lower classes and in a style of great clearness and simplicity her admirable dialogue called village politics by will chip a country carpenter exposed the folly and atrocity of the revolutionary doctrines then in vogue its circulation was immense the government purchased several thousand copies for distribution it was translated into french and italian similar in spirit was the tract in reply to the infidel speech of messer de pont in the french convention in which he would divorce all religion from education the circulation of this tract was also very great these were followed in seventeen ninety five by the cheap repository a periodical designed for the poor with religious tales most of which have since been published by tract societies among them the famous story of the shepherd of salisbury plain the cheap repository was continued for three years and circulated in every village and hamlet of england and america it almost equaled the popularity of the pilgrim's progress two millions of these tracts were sold in the first year in seventeen ninety nine hannah moore's great work entitled strictures on the modern system of female education appeared which passed through twenty editions in a few years it was her third ethical publication in prose and the most powerful of all her writings testimonies as to its value poured in upon her from every quarter nothing was more talked about at that time except perhaps robert hall's sermons it was regarded as one of the most perfect works of its kind that any country or age had produced it made as deep an impression on the english mind as the emile of rousseau did on the french half a century earlier but was vastly higher in its moral tone i know of no treatise on education so full and so sensible as this it ought to be reprinted for the benefit of this generation for its author has forestalled all subsequent writers on this all-important subject there is scarcely anything said by rev morgan dix in his excellent lenten lectures which was not said by hannah moore in the last century herbert spencer may be more original possibly more profound but he is not so practical or clear or instructive as the great woman who preceded him more than half a century the fundamental principle which underlies all hannah moore's theories of education is the necessity of christian instruction which herbert spencer says very little about and apparently ignores she would not divorce education from religion women especially owe their elevation entirely to christianity hence its influence should be paramount to exalt the soul as well as enlarge the mind all sound education should prepare one for the duties of life rather than for the enjoyment of its pleasures what good can i do should be the first inquiry it is christianity alone that teaches the ultimate laws of morals hannah moore would subject every impulse and every pursuit and every study to those ultimate laws as a foundation for true and desirable knowledge she would repress everything which looks like vanity she would educate girls for their homes and not for a crowd for usefulness and not for admiration for that period of life when external beauty is faded or lost she thinks more highly of solid attainments than of accomplishments and would incite to useful rather than unnecessary works she would have a girl learn the languages though she deems them of little value unless one can think in them she would cultivate that sensibility which has its seat in the heart rather than the nerves anything which detracts from modesty and delicacy and makes a girl bold forward and pushing she severely rebukes 
she would check all extravagance in dancing and would not waste much time on music unless one has a talent for it she thinks that the excessive cultivation of the arts has contributed to the decline of states she is severe on that style of dress which permits an indelicate exposure of the person and on all forms of senseless extravagance she despises children's balls and ridicules children's rights and lilliputian coquetry with ribbons and feathers she would educate women to fulfill the duties of daughters wives and mothers rather than to make them dancers singers players painters and actresses she maintains that when a man of sense comes to marry he wants a companion rather than a creature who can only dress and dance and play upon an instrument yet she does not discourage ornamental talent she admits it is a good thing but not the best thing that a woman has she would not cut up time into an endless multiplicity of employments she urges mothers to impress on their daughters minds a discriminating estimate of personal beauty so that they may not have their heads turned by the adulation that men are so prone to lavish on those who are beautiful while she deprecates harshness she insists on a rigorous discipline she would stimulate industry and the cultivation of moderate abilities as more likely to win in the long race of life even as a barren soil and ungenial climate have generally produced the most thrifty people she would banish frivolous books which give only superficial knowledge and even those abridgments and compendiums which form too considerable a part of ordinary libraries and recommends instead those works which exercise the reasoning faculties and stir up the powers of the mind she expresses great contempt for english sentimentality french philosophy italian poetry and german mysticism and is scarcely less severe on the novels of her day which stimulate the imagination without adding to knowledge she recommends history as the most improving of all studies both as a revelation of the ways of providence and as tending to the enlargement of the mind she insists on accuracy in language and on avoiding exaggerations she inculcates cooperation with man and not rivalry or struggle for power what she says about women's rights which it seems was a question that agitated even her age is worth quoting since it is a woman and not a man who speaks is it not more wise to move contentedly in the plain path which providence has obviously marked out for the sex and in which custom has for the most part rationally confirmed them rather than to stray awkwardly unbecomingly unsuccessfully in a forbidden road to be the lawful possessors of a lesser domestic territory rather than the turbulent usurpers of a wider foreign empire to be good originals rather than bad imitators to be the best thing of one's kind rather than an inferior thing even if it were of a higher kind to be excellent women rather than indifferent men let not woman view with envy the keen satirist hunting vice through all the doublings and windings of the heart the sagacious politician leading senates and directing the fate of empires the acute lawyer detecting the obliquities of fraud or the skilful dramatist exposing the pretensions of folly but let her remember that those who thus excel to all that nature bestows and books can teach must add besides that consummate knowledge of the world to which a delicate woman has no fair avenues and which even if she could attain she would never be supposed to have come honestly by women possess in a high degree that delicacy and quickness of perception and that nice discernment between the beautiful and defective which comes under the denomination of taste both in composition and action they excel in details but they do not so much generalize their ideas as men nor do their minds seize a great subject with so large a grasp 
they are acute observers and accurate judges of life and manners so far as their own sphere of observation extends but they describe a smaller circle and they have a certain tact which enables them to feel what is just more instantaneously than they can define it they have an intuitive penetration into character bestowed upon them by providence like the sensitive and tender organs of some timid animals as a kind of natural guard to warn of the approach of danger beings who are often called to act defensively but whatever characteristic distinctions may exist between man and woman there is one great and leading circumstance which raises woman and establishes her equality with man christianity has exalted woman to true and undisputed dignity in christ jesus there is neither rich nor poor bond nor free male nor female so that if we deny to women the talents which lead them to excel as lawyers they are preserved from the peril of having their principles warped by that too indiscriminate defence of right and wrong to which the professors of the law are exposed if we question their title to eminence as mathematicians they are exempted from the danger of looking for demonstration on subjects which by their very nature are incapable of affording it if they are less conversant with the powers of nature the structure of the human frame and the knowledge of the heavenly bodies than philosophers physicians and astronomers they are delivered from the error into which many of each of these have sometimes fallen from the fatal habit of resting on second causes instead of referring all to the first and that women take comfort that in their very exemption from privileges which they are sometimes disposed to envy consist their security and their happiness thus spoke hannah more at the age of fifty-four with a wider experience of society and a profounder knowledge of her sex than any englishwoman of the eighteenth century and as distinguished for her intellectual gifts and cultivation as she was for her social graces and charms the pet and admiration of all who were great and good in her day both among men and women bear these facts in mind ye obscure inexperienced discontented envious ambitious seekers after notoriety or novelty you rebellious and defiant opponents of the ordinances of god and the laws of nature if such women there are remember that the sentiments i have just quoted came from the pen of a woman and not of a man of a woman who was the best friend of her sex and the most enlightened advocate of their education that lived in the last century and a woman who if she were living now would undoubtedly be classed with those whom we call strong-minded and perhaps masculine and ambitious she recognizes the eternal distinction between the sphere of a man and the sphere of a woman without admitting any inferiority of woman to man except in physical strength and a sort of masculine power of generalization and grasp and she would educate woman for her own sphere not for the sphere of man whatever christianity or experience or reason may define that sphere to be she would make woman useful interesting lofty she would give dignity to her soul she would make her the friend and helpmate of man not his rival she would make her a christian woman since with christian virtues and graces and principles she will not be led astray but i would not dwell on ground which may be controverted and which to some may appear discourteous or discouraging to those noble women who are doomed by dire and hard misfortunes by terrible necessities to labor in some fields which have been assigned to man and in which departments they have earned the admiration and respect of men themselves this subject is only one in a hundred which hannah more discussed with clearness power and wisdom she is equally valuable and impressive in what she says of conversation a realm in which she had no superior hear what she has to say about this gift or art do we wish to see women take a lead in metaphysical disquisitions to plunge in the depths of theological polemics 
do we wish to enthrone them in the chairs of our universities to deliver oracles harangues and dissertations do we desire to behold them inflated with their original powers laboring to strike out sparks of wit with a restless anxiety to shine and with a labored affectation to please which never pleases all this be far from them but we do wish to see the conversation of well-bred women rescued from vapid commonplaces from uninteresting tattle from trite communications from frivolous earnestness from false sensibility from a warm interest about things of no moment and an indifference to topics the most important from a cold vanity from the overflows of self-love exhibiting itself under the smiling mask of an engaging flattery and from all the factitious manners of artificial intercourse we do wish to see the time passed in polished and intelligent society considered as the pleasant portion of our existence and not consigned to premeditated trifling and systematic unprofitableness women too little live or converse up to their understandings and however we deprecate affection and pedantry let it be remembered that both in reading and conversing the understanding gains more by stretching than stooping the mind by applying itself to objects below its level contracts and shrinks itself to the size of the object about which it is conversant in the faculty of speaking well ladies have such a happy promptitude of turning their slender advantages to account that though never taught a rule of syntax they hardly ever violate one and often possess an elegant arrangement of style without having studied any of the laws of composition and yet they are too ready to produce not only pedantic expressions but crude notions and hackneyed remarks with all the vanity of conscious discovery and all from reading mere abridgments and scanty sketches rather than exhausting subjects equally forcible are her remarks on society perhaps said she the interests of friendship elegant conversation and true social pleasure never received such a blow as when fashion issued the decree that everybody must be acquainted with everybody the decline of instructive conversation has been effected in a great measure by the barbarous habit of assembly en masse where one hears the same succession of unmeaning platitudes mutual insincerities and aimless inquiries it would be trite however to dwell on the vapid talk which must almost of necessity mark those who assemble in crowds and which we are taught to call society which cannot really exist without the free interchange of thought and sentiment hence society only truly shines in small and select circles of people of high intelligence who are drawn together by friendship as well as admiration about two years after this work on education appeared education in the broadest sense pertaining to woman at home and in society as well as at school hannah moore moved from her little thatched cottage and built barley wood a large villa where she could entertain the increasing circle of her friends who were at this period only the learned the pious and the distinguished especially bishops like porteus and horn and philanthropists like wilberforce the beauty of this new residence amid woods and lawns attracted her sisters from bath who continued to live with her the rest of their lives and to cooperate with her in deeds of benevolence in this charming retreat she wrote perhaps the most famous of her books coelebs in search of a wife not much read i fancy in these times but admired in its day before the great revolution in novel writing was made by sir walter scott yet this work is no more a novel than the dialogues of plato like Rasselas, it is a treatise, 
a narrative essay on the choice of a wife the expansion and continuation of her strictures on education and fashionable life this work appeared in 1808 when the writer was 63 years of age as on former occasions she now not only assumed an anonymous name but endeavored to hide herself under deeper incognita all however to no purpose as everybody soon knew from the style who the author was the first edition of this popular work popular i mean in its day for no work is popular long though it may remain forever a classic on the shelves of libraries was sold in two weeks twelve thousand were published the first year the profits of which were two thousand pounds in this country the sale was larger thirty thousand copies being sold during the life of the author it was also translated into most of the modern languages of europe in eighteen eleven appeared her work on christian morals which had a sale of ten thousand and in eighteen fifteen her essay on the character and practical writings of st paul of which seven thousand copies were sold these works were followed by her moral sketches of prevailing opinions and manners of which ten thousand were sold and which realized a royalty of three thousand pounds end of section eighteen